The Outspoken Cyclist podcast is supported by the Dodd Camera Company, an Ohio institution in photography for over 100 years. Dodd Camera has stayed right in step with the newest in digital cameras and accessories, as well as offering services such as photo restoration and large format printing. Dodd Camera stores are located in Cleveland, Dayton, Cincinnati, and Chicago. And if you don't have one in your town, you can find them online at DoddCamera.com. At Dodd Camera, the focus is on you. Welcome to The Outspoken Cyclist, your weekly radio connection to bicycles and cycling, as well as fitness and other related topics. The Outspoken Cyclist is a radio show produced by cyclists for cyclists. And now here's your host, The Outspoken Cyclist herself, Diane Lees. Welcome to the Outspoken Cyclist. I'm your host, Diane Lees, along with Tim McKenna. Hello, Diane. Hello, Tim. How's Tim this week? Fantastic again. Well, you can't ask for more than that, can you? It's been such beautiful weather here all week. It's been, you know, 77, 78 degrees and sunny all week. And I know. It's weird. I'm almost afraid of what's happening next, you know? Can I give a quick shout out to somebody? Yep. Hi, Peter at Tulip Cycling. Remember us? We talked to Peter at Tulip Cycling this, yes. this past summer. Well, you know, friends of mine went on one of his tours. That's how I found out about him. This is like the fourth or fifth time they've gone. And when they came back this weekend, he sent over a Tulip Cycling water bottle for me. Oh, nice. Yeah, it was very nice. It was very kind of him to think of me. So anyway, there has been an interesting development in the Laura Weintraub story this week. It seems like Ms. Weintraub sought out a couple of cycling advocates in the California area and learned firsthand what riding on the streets entailed. (laughs) Was it videoed? It was videoed. And in fact, she was very contrite and very, I mean, she looked very different, you know, very uh, um, not made up and just, you know, looking like a California girl, actually. She created this new video and it expresses her great remorse over her mis guided commentary and declared that we should learn to respect one another on the road. Some folks thought her efforts were applaudable and many other folks just booed. You know what they say. There's no such thing as bad PR. Right. So hopefully something good will come out of it. Speaking of good, we are full up this week on the show. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are. It was the opening of the 2014 Gay Games right here in Cleveland. This is the ninth edition of the games. They began way back in 1980. And the game's originator, Tom Waddle, said, and I quote, We need to discover more about the process of our sexual liberation and apply it meaningfully to other forms of liberation. The gay games are not separatist. They are not exclusive. They are not oriented to victory, and they are not for commercial gain. They are, however, intended to bring a global community together in friendship, to experience participation, to elevate consciousness and self-esteem, and to achieve a form of cultural and intellectual synergy. So with that in mind, I want to welcome these thousands of, of great cyclists, athletes, uh, to the Northeast Ohio area. I hope they have a rockin' good time in our city. I'll bet they will. we got uh, lots to do here. Yes, I'm sure yeah. they won't have any trouble finding something to do. There are 35 sports, two cultural events. Um, we will speak with one of the game's cycling coordinators, Angie Rigel, about the road race, uh, the time trial, and the mountain bike events, most of which are going to take pa- place in our metro parks or down in Akron. 
We'll also talk with Christy Scrimger, owner of the Women's Specialized Lululemon Pro Racing Team. In an unprecedented move this week, Christy opened up the possibility for everyone to own a piece of a pro team when she launched Project X on the crowdfunding platform Indiegogo. With major sponsorship dwindling at the end of this year, this winning team of 11 great riders is in danger of losing its place in the worldwide and ever-growing women's cycling field. And uh, we're going to find out what maybe some of us can do to at least let people know how they can participate. Finally, we will speak once again with Red Kite Prayer's Patrick Brady. Patrick's literary skills have won him numerous awards, including being named the number one cycling blog by Outside Magazine, as well as the Lowell Thomas Travel Award. Now, most people think of, of Patrick writing only cycling. He has also written for the travel business and obviously well. His book, Why We Ride, is a compendium of short, thoughtful, and intellectual pieces about his history in cycling. And there's an eight-part narrative that starts with fun and ends with adventure. And there's a whole lot in between. He talks of great highs and some pretty low lows. So we'll also catch up on this week's news. We're going to get right to it and hear about the 2014 Gay Games Cycling Events from race coordinator Angie Ridgel. Angie, thanks for joining me on the show this evening. Uh, it's nice to join you this evening. Back in 1980, a gentleman by the name of Tom Waddle, I guess that's how you pronounce it, yes? I believe so. Yeah, he created the Gay Games, and since then, it's a multi-sport event. It's been held eight times in the U.S., Australia, Europe, Canada, and the ninth is starting right here in downtown Cleveland today, Saturday. So give us a little background on this year's events, like the dates, how many athletes, and how many different events there are, and then we're going to focus on cycling. Very good. So um, the uh, actual events, uh, the, the uh, sports events, are from August 9th through the 16th, and there are 35 different events, which is actually fairly impressive. And they're predicting about um, 8,000 athletes. How many countries are represented, do you know? Well, I can tell you about cycling. I mean, they've told me that many, many different countries um, are, are represented throughout the whole games. But in cycling, on my list, um, I actually have six different countries. Wow. So I would predict that it's probably a lot more than that. So we have U.S. and we have Canada. Correct. And where else for cycling? I have Germany, France, the U.K., and Australia. Wow, somebody's actually coming in from Australia. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. How many cycling events will there be? There are four cycling events. There is a uh, mountain bike race. There is a cycling road race. There is a time trial, uh, both individual and team time trial, and then there is a criterion. So you know what's interesting is quite a few of these events are being held in our Cleveland Metro Parks. Correct. Which is really unusual. I mean, we have a new director in the last few years, and, and he's sort of much more open to cycling. But years ago, this would have probably never happened like this. It's very exciting. Right. Yeah. I mean, just from uh, my experience, um, I mean, I'm a member of Snake Bite Racing and, you know, we've been part of uh, trying to get events in the local area. And you're right. It's been challenging up to this point, but um, they have been very responsive um, to giving us the permits for those events. And um, actually, uh, Dan Crandall is the individual who we've been working with, and he's, he's really been great. That's really good to know. So where is the, the crit being held? Um, the Criterium is actually in Lakewood, on the west end of Lakewood, nice. uh, which I'm really excited about because I'm actually a Lakewood resident. 
There you go. <laughs> and um, the city of Lakewood, I have to give them kudos. Um, they've been awesome in trying to get this event. Um, it's It's been, uh, we've met probably about 10 times with the city, and um, they really wanted to host the event, so they did whatever they could to make sure we could do that. Um, and the businesses on the West End, too, have been really, really responsive and helpful, and I've had community meetings with them as well. So everybody's on board on the West End, and I'm pretty excited about that. So if you could just outline that course, can you just, like, give me the perimeters of the course approximately? Sure. Yeah, I mean, some people who uh, may be familiar with the Lakewood Criterium um, that went on a couple years um, in past that was put on by Spin Cycling. It's a very similar course to that. Um, we did cut a little bit of the corner off, and um, it's starting at about Park Row in Detroit, and we're going to head west um, down Detroit, and then we're actually going to turn on Riverside. So they're going to take a right turn on Riverside. Um, Riverside runs into Andola, and then that runs into uh, Sloan Avenue. Got so it. then they're going to take a right on Sloan, go down to West Clifton, take a right on West Clifton, and then back on back Detroit. Back to Detroit. Sure. Wow. Wow. Well, let's just say, when is the crit first? What day is that? The criterium is on Saturday. That's the last day of the gay games, so Saturday the 16th. And it's, um, it's actually starting fairly early. Uh, so the first race is at 8 o'clock. Um, we are going to have a women's race first, and that'll be a 30-minute. Uh, we have about uh, 28 women that are participating. And then um, after a short break, we're going to have a, uh, a older men's race, so it's going to be 50 and up. It's going to be a 45-minute race. And then after that, we're going to have a third race, which will be a 60-minute race. That's the challenging one. And that will be for, for men under 50. I have a question about... What's important with these games? And then we'll get back to the, I, I'm going to just talk a little bit about the mountain bike race too, because that's, it's kind of very new for Cleveland mm-hmm. to allow mountain biking in, in the Metro parks. That's, that's really new for us. Right. The games really aren't about winning. Uh, everything I've read is, is that it's about community. And for those who may not understand why there are gay games, give us some idea of what it means to the athletes and the organizers and our community. If you've looked at the events that are associated with the gay games, I mean, they're all kinds of events. They're arts events, there's music, they're parties. And so I think it's really the overall scope of it is, you know, inclusive. Um, let's get together and celebrate um, that community and, and have acceptance and, and, you know, show them, too, of course, how great Cleveland is. Um, you know, we're we're really trying to showcase the city and the parks and, um you know, support support the gay community and anyone, you know, it's not only gay people who can participate. Anybody can participate. Um, so it's, it's very inclusive, very supportive. And I think that's kind of the overall um, idea of the gay games. It's basically for adults, though. We're not we're not talking kids involved here. No, no. Um, all the events are 18 and up. Got it. Got it. I'm speaking with Andy Ridgell. She is the coordinator for Several of the bicycle events in the gay games, um, they began this morning, Saturday, with a big to-do, which is really exciting. And the bicycling events don't actually happen right away. They're coming up in the next few days. So tell me a little bit about the mountain bike race. So the mountain bike race um, will be held at Royal View, which is a, a pretty new mountain bike course um, out in, uh, in Strongsville. And um, it's actually going to be a time trial start for the mountain bike race. So that's a little bit different. Um, But, you know, with that course, those of you who are familiar with it, you know, it's fairly narrow. 
Um, so it would be a challenge to have a mass start. So what um, that director decided to do, her name is Linda Miranda. She's uh, a mountain bike advocate, and uh, and her whole family are big mountain bikers. So she's the one who's running that event. Um, and um, they're just going to have a course laid out, and then they have people basically start at certain times. So time trial start. Interesting. Interesting. Now, there is also a triathlon going on. I know that's not part of your events, but when is, do you know when the triathlon's going to happen and where that swim is going to start? Yeah. You know what? I think the triathlon is on Sunday. Okay. I'm not sure exactly. Um, actually, it's going to be done um, down and on the downtown, you know, the downtown Cleveland course? Yes. Actually starting at Voinovich Park is right. where they're going to do that. Yeah, Mickey Rismick is the uh, race director for that one, but... Um, to tell you the truth, I haven't I haven't spent too much time seeing what they're doing. I just know the basis of that. And then there's one more event. Um, the road race is actually on Tuesday. Okay, and let's go over the road race now. Is this men and women also? Yes. Yeah. Do you know how many riders are registered for that? Well, it, it's interesting. the uh, The way the Gay Games registers people is they ask them if they want to do either the mountain bike or the road cycling events, and then within that you can choose the road cycling events that you want to do. Now, the way that we encourage people to do all of the road cycling events is we actually have a uh, Omnium scoring where people will get points for each event that they do and how they are placing during those events. So so we're encouraging people to do all the events. Um, we won't know which events they're doing until um, our mandatory cyclist meeting, which is on Monday. Um, but we did divide it out via mountain biking and, and cycling. So... Right now, we have um, about 80, 82 people registered for the road events, wow. which is exciting. That is exciting. Mm-hmm. And then the mountain bike, um, they have 20. Okay, so that one isn't going to take a really, really long time um, to get started if you're, they're doing it in a time trial format. How long is the road race? Uh, the road race uh, is actually a circuit race. So I'm not sure some of your listeners may be familiar with the Chippewa Creek um, road race a route, which was a race that went on for many years. Um, we've been trying to bring it back, haven't been successful with that, but um, it's a five-mile circuit. Got so it. Um, depending on uh, the category that people are in, um, it will probably be between 15 and 30 miles. Wow. So you have your work cut out for you over the next few days, and it's pretty exciting for us to see another big event coming to downtown Cleveland and, and just the Cleveland area. It's not just downtown. Um, there's Akron involved and there's the Cleveland Metro Parks involved in Strongsville. And, you know, people don't understand how Cleveland is laid out, but it's just very exciting that um, we have all these wonderful athletes and just people enjoying themselves in downtown Cleveland. Yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. Actually, I sent out an email today to the cyclists, kind of giving them a uh, a little bit of instruction. And I had a lot of people email me right away and say, we're so excited about the event. So it's, it's all good. Well, Angie, lots of luck with the event. I know it isn't going to come back here anytime soon. So for those in the Northeast Ohio or even further away area who want to see this, uh, the gay games go on until the 13th. Is that correct? Actually, the 16th. Oh, the 16th. Okay, August 16th. Correct. All right, and you can go online to uh, Gay Games and just type it in. Right, and they have a cycling-specific page if people want to um, look at that. Uh, you just go to that page on the Gay Games main site, and it gives you all the details about um, where the races are, what the times are, how to get to those events if people want to come cheer them on. Thanks so much for talking to us about the events, and good luck this week. I hope the weather holds up. Me too. Thank you very much. All right, Angie. Have a great night. 
All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Angie Rigel joined me from, I don't know where the heck she is right now, but I'll bet she's running around like a chicken with her head cut off. I think so. I'm very excited about all of these cycling events and all the events going on. It's going to be huge. 8,000 people. That's a lot of people. I think the cycling events, it's great. It's another way to show off our metro parks and and all the wonderful things that we have there. And I know Sunday morning, uh, tomorrow morning, the rowing kicks off. So I'll be down at the boathouse for that. Oh, good. Do you know how many rowers? Or have you have no, talked well, to them? the last I heard it was 150, so wow. we'll see. Okay. Um, but uh, it's nice to hear that they have a 50 and over category for those of us like that are that. a little more experienced. <laughs> All righty. Uh, you are listening to The Outspoken Cyclist. We are going to move right along, and we're going to learn about the specialized Lululemon women's team from its owner. We'll be right back to talk with Christy Scrimger. Hi, Christy. Welcome to The Outspoken Cyclist. Thanks for joining me on the show. Hi, Diane. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Well, you know, women's cycling, which we talk a lot about women's cycling on the show, and it's finally getting some respect and some interest, fans, media, even perhaps sponsors. Tell me a little bit about your background, your association with the Specialized Lululemon team. Uh, Well, my background is actually totally in cycling. I started racing uh, when I was at university. Uh, and I raced for about six or seven years. Um, and then I stayed in cycling, uh, either either through media or with uh, the HTC team. And then when the HTC High Road team finished a few years ago, we had this great group of women that were a part of it. Um, we wanted to keep those women together because they were it was just a great team. They wanted to stay together. Uh, a lot of them were going to make the Olympic team the following year. And it just made sense. So that's when we uh, we brought Lululemon and Specialized together and created this team. And so your role with the team is? I set up the team, so I'm kind of the manager. Yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's what I do. <laughs> you know, I watched your video, so I know a little bit about what's going on, and we're going to get to that in a moment. Let's just back into who the team is. You've had a great 2014 season. How many team members are there? We have 11 this year. It varies every year between 11 and 13, I would say. And they range in ages quite a bit, actually. Oh, yeah. I mean, a couple of years ago, we had an 18-year-old and a 40-year-old on the same team. So, I mean, women cycling's like that. Uh, a lot of women don't get into racing until they've, you know, they're at university or after university. Um, and then, you've, you know, you've, you've definitely have those who, who start early. So there can be a, definitely a big range. When we're talking about ranges, not just in age, what about in talent? Are some of the women crossing over from road and time trial into track and, and mountain? Or how, how is the d- team divided up? Yeah, well, all of our riders are primarily road, although some of them have come from track. Uh, we stole Lisa Branauer from the track, and she's now concentrating on the road. And, and some of them also dabble in cyclocross in the off-season and uh, considering doing some track next year uh, in the lead up to the Olympics, so it's um it's mostly road, but there is the opportunity for them to do some other disciplines. How did they do this year? They did great. I, I don't think it was our best year, but um, 
we were really disappointed that we didn't win a World Cup early in the season. Those spring classics are really exciting, and if you if you win one of those, um, it's great. But we've we've really won a lot of races, and now we're coming up to the business end of the year where it's super important, and they've all got great form. Um, none of them are injured, and that's really important. Uh, it's hard to get to this this end of the year in this position. So right now we're building up towards the the team time trial at Worlds. And all the races leading up to that are going to be really exciting. So one of the things that always comes up for me when I'm looking at a team, a squad, 11 women who need, first of all, they probably come from all over. They don't all come from one area, right? Yeah, they're international. We have five North Americans, but then we have a couple of Aussies and uh, a French rider, uh, a Dutch rider, a couple of Germans. It's very international. So when you have a team like that, Obviously, travel is expensive and training, and there must be some sort of monetary um, issue with equipment and mechanics and all of the stuff that goes into building a team. How do you manage all that? Well, yeah, it's difficult, um, particularly on women's teams' budgets. Um, But, you know, we do the best we can. We've got good partners and we have good equipment. We're very lucky. But then definitely travel is expensive, you know, bringing people... We cover all of their travel. And so, you know, bringing people from Australia and then back and forth from America to Europe for racing, uh, you know, it definitely adds up. And there's there's a lot of other costs involved, you know, like insurance and fees and storage. And, you know, it's definitely a full, um, you know, operating a, a real company. I'm speaking with Christy Scrimshaw. She is the team manager for the specialized Lululemon women's team. You're in New York. What are you doing in New York? Do you live in New York? Yeah, I spend most of my time here. I travel a lot with the team, but uh, yeah, I like it here. Well, there's some things evidently that are changing toward the end of this year, and it's prompted you to do something that's never been done before. And uh, this past week, you launched Project X. Tell us a little bit about Project X and why you're going to uh, look at making all of us team owners. Well, you know, women's cycling is very interesting. It's uh, And cycling in general is structured, as you know, it's, it's all based on sponsorship. Um, or if it's not sponsorship, it's very passionate, wealthy uh, individuals who who want to fund a team, um, but mostly it's it's modelled on sponsorship, and, and sponsorships definitely hard to get, particularly in the past for women's teams because you don't have a lot of return on investment to show. I think that's changing, um, and women's cycling, I th- I believe, is just about to go through a huge growth curve. We even saw this year how how much has changed at the top level um, and at all levels of women's cycling. So we've had uh, two sponsors, two financial sponsors specialize in Lululemon for the past three years, and that, that, that contract ends at the end of the year, and we were looking for uh, new sponsors. And it, it was proving quite difficult in, within time frames, and I really wanted to have this done by the end of August so that the girls had the opportunity to find another team if we didn't find the money to continue this one. And so we thought about, you know, you've been watching lately all of these crowdfunding campaigns and they're actually fun and exciting and a lot of films get funded by in this way um, and new interesting projects and, and it's turned from something that is, it's not just asking for money but it's involving people in something interesting that they might be interested in. So um, we took that and also the fact that I think 
it, women's cycling really needs to create a bridge between racing cyclists and a fan base. There's, there's thousands and thousands of recreational cyclists out there who are women and more and more each day. It's really a growing sport. You know, when I, when I go riding out there, it's, it, it's just amazing how many more women you see every day. Um, but there is a gap between the racing and the recreational cyclists. So we wanted to kind of create that community and bring the community into the team. And I think that works in both ways, helping grow recreational cycling and helping grow in pro cycling. So that was the idea. Well, before we get to the nitty-gritty of Project X, I have a question about the income that these women do or don't get. Does it come back to the team and then get split up in some way? I mean, there is some money in cycling for women. It certainly isn't like it is for men. Hopefully that will begin changing. But um, is that how part of it gets funded with winnings? Oh, the prize money. Oh, well, prize money is that goes directly to the girls and they choose what to do with it. Uh, so, so yes, um, but you know, at the moment, prize money for women isn't all that much. Um, I think it's going to improve, like you said, um, but that's not really included in our team budget. You know, for example, a Giro is a ten-day race, and the winner of the overall, uh, I think, won three hundred and sixty euros. So, you know, prize money is at the moment um, not that relevant. But I think if you if you think about who's running these races, the, the, the race organizers are in the same situation as the teams. True. They're also trying to find sponsorship. And, and unless it's like La Course at, at, by the Tour de France, which, you know, they, they're obviously in a different situation. Um, and the races that are in a different situation are, are, you know, trying to bridge that gap. For everybody, it's just a growth curve. And um, these are still great races. And for the moment, we just, we've just got to keep pushing to try and, you know, bridge the gap. Why is um, women's racing or bike racing at all a good investment for a sponsor? It's a beautiful sport, and if you if you've ever even you know tried riding a bike, you, you just it's just amazing. It's a beautiful way to spend your time, and it's a healthy lifestyle. There's so much you can do. If you look at my the women on my team, they've all got really amazing stories. Uh, they're eloquently spoken. They're they're well educated. They've got passion. They do this sport because they love it. So having them as spokespeople for a brand is is brilliant, if you ask me, especially now when more and more brands are getting into um, focusing their advertising on women um, because women are, you know, essentially decision makers in, in purchasing. Um, so I think you, you can start there, but also – uh, right now is a perfect time to get into women's cycling because it's small. The the investment is small, but the exposure is just about to grow. I mean, you already saw this year in a one-day race in La Course, it was broadcast in uh, 150 countries. Uh, and so, you know, I think it's the right time to step in, and there's so much you can get out of it. The other thing with cycling is the experience. Uh, you can go to races and have this amazing B2B experience or, you know, customer experience at these races that's really quite different than anything that uh, most people have ever tried. So th there's a lot of different reasons to get into cycling, um, but mostly it's just a, it's a beautiful sport, and, and if you get to ride, you, you'll see that. The last thing I want to talk about is Project X. You're, it, it's a huge goal that's out there, and I noticed that the, that, the, um, that the crowdfunding platform is allowing it to be flexible, which means whatever you raise, you can keep. 
Right. Which is unusual for some of the crowdfunding stuff. That's the first time I've seen it. Now, it may be that others do it, but I think that's very good. So when I looked, which was a, a couple of days ago, you were at about 10% of what you want. Give us the number. It's a big one. It's hard to figure out what number to put on this. We wanted to raise half the money that we needed to support the team. Um, and one of the other things we really want to do with this crowdfunding campaign is to attract the interest of potential sponsors. Um, by getting it, just by getting it out there in a different way and something unique has actually created some interest, uh, which is great for us. Um, and now what we really need is we just need people, we just need to show that there is an interest for women cycling. So the more people that sign up to this campaign is basically voting for women cycling, say, hey, I believe in this. I believe that we should support the sport that we love uh, or we should support, you know, women's opportunity, opportunities for women. Um, and this is kind of a way that you can do that where there hasn't been a way before. There's a lot of people now pushing for the growth of women's cycling and really wanting it to grow. We get people asking us every day, how can we watch, how can we watch cycling? Um, and there's a lot of work going on around the world from different groups. Um, but this is just one way that fans of cycling can say, Hey, this is, this is something I believe in and they can really help us. And even if it, it's not a lot of money and even if we don't, uh, reach our goal, we know now, um, in the last couple of weeks, we know now that we will have a team. So they'll end up being part of something, I think, pretty cool. It is pretty cool, and it's very exciting. Let me ask one more question. Will the team name change? That all depends on how uh, what happens with, with sponsorship, and, you know, it's all naming rights. Um, it's definitely not going to be called Specialized Lululemon, but... Who knows? Maybe it's going to be called Project X, depending on how many people invest. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, if I had it, you know, I think it's a, a really interesting investment, certainly in a sport that I've been involved in for my entire adult life. It's wonderful to see women cycling growing. And I think this is a really interesting idea. All right. Tell our listeners how to get involved in Project X. <laughs> uh, well, you can go to Indiegogo and search for Project X and you'll find it. Or you can go to our website uh, by just searching for Specialized Lululemon. And, and there's a link there. Well, Christy, I wish you so much luck in getting all your sponsorship. And for the 2015 cycling season, tell all the women we are rooting for them. Thank you so much, and thanks for having us on the show. It's my pleasure. Have a good night. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Christy Scrimja, join me from Brooklyn, New York. This is going to be the new way to do sponsorships in, in all sports. Yeah? I looked at that number, $700,000, and that's only one half of their budget. Never realized that it was that high. And and I think this is a great way to reach that without having to get one big lump sum from a company like Lululemon or Specialized. The idea that you could say, that's my team, you know, that would be really cool. You know, give them a few bucks and you get to be part of it. I think that's awesome. Yep. Really awesome. All right. We need to take a break. We will be right back. You are listening to The Outspoken Cyclist. WJCU, University Heights, from the campus of John Carroll University. We'd like to thank our podcast sponsor, Dodd Camera, for their support of The Outspoken Cyclist. There is a close relationship between cycling and photography, and we're proud to have this family-owned business as a partner in our show. If you're in the market for photo equipment, want to learn more about taking great pictures, or maybe you're ready to launch your own YouTube channel, visit DoddCamera.com 
and see what Dodd Camera can do for you. We are back on The Outspoken Cyclist. I'm Diane Lees. And I'm Tim McKenna. Hey, Tim, it's time for some news. What you got? One of the interesting things I've been following all week is the tour of Utah. Yes. So tomorrow will be the last stage. If you haven't had a chance to follow that, tourofutah.com. And a shout out to one of our past guests, uh, Tim Johnson, who's doing a fabulous job of of one of the co-announcers along with the race. And I love his insight so much. Um, information that you get, the little things that, that you normally don't catch when you're watching a bicycle race and things behind the mindset of, of what a rider is and all of that. So cool. Uh, tour of Utah, one more day left. And, and also, uh, congratulations to them. They had a, a great race at Miller Motorsports Park uh, for the uh, women's race. Yes, the one-day women's race. The yeah. one-day women's yeah. race. Uh, I also watched that, and that was uh, that was very good as well. Okay, so my first story this week is sort of a, really, the National Coalition for the Safety of Roads, or the NCSR, is partnering with organizations and communities across the country to raise awareness about the dangers of red light running during, wait for it, National Stop on Red Week. That means only we we only have to do that once a week? <laughs> you mean or, once or a one year. week a year? Yeah, one week a year. Each day of the week is dedicated to different safety aspects, useful statistics and information, and heartfelt messages from supporters. If you're interested to see what the week offered, you can go to ncrssafety.org forward slash stop on red. And you'll see all the tools and resources you need to promote National Stop on Red Week in your community. And I don't want to be skeptical or flip, Right. But I'm not sure why we need a national stop on red week when stopping on red is required every day of the year. We should stop on red all the time. I will say, though, some of the statistics highlighted were terrifying. So maybe it is a good thing to bring more awareness. The week started actually last Sunday and ran through today. But I think the information will be helpful year round. It's interesting that you found that because I also found LEDs on Copenhagen's bicycle highway tell you how fast to go to get to the green light. So Wait this a minute. Is Wait, from, they're built into the highway? Uh, this is actually built into the roadway. Wow. So cool treehugger.com slash bikes, and you'll find a, a nice article about uh, uh, Copenhagen and, and the updates that they're going to have for their bike systems, the bridges that they're going to put in and all the other roadways. And so I remember a long time ago when I was a kid, and you used to drive down Clifton Boulevard. If you went like 34 miles an hour, you could make all the lights. Well, that's changed. But now what you can do in Copenhagen, the traffic lights are synchronized for the convenience of cars and cyclists who have to start and stop all the time. They call it the green wave. And the green wave actually has LED lights built into the bicycle pathway. And when you travel 20 kilometers per hour on your bicycle, you will make all the lights green. You'll make all the green lights as you're, yeah, so you don't have to stop at the For red, red light? which How is cool. a fantastic idea. And they actually show there's a there's a video in here which is a great video. It shows people if you're not going 20 kilometers, the green disappears, and you're going to have to stop when you come to the intersection. I think this is a great idea, and it's a neat. A uh, neat solution, and, and I think, well, in Copenhagen, they do a lot of great things for recycling. So yes, they do. It's not a surprise that it comes out of there. No. So I think we mentioned Paul Kimmage last week. Yes. Well, Paul Kimmage is in the news against this week. He seems to be in the news a lot recently. He has not lost his desire or bravado in attempting to expose bad goings-on in cycling. 
In the Irish Independent this week, Kimmage's attempt to get a teammate of 27-year-old Johannes Dreger, who died in his sleep after a race almost 25 years ago, is met with hesitance and fear. Here's the beginning of Paul's article. It's fascinating. Almost 25 years have passed since Johannes Dreger, a handsome 27-year-old Dutch professional cyclist from the province of Friesland, died in his sleep, and the mention of his name continues to provoke fear amongst his former contemporaries and friends. The question is, why? Last January, after a visit to his grave, I began reaching out to several of his former teammates. Some refused to talk about him. Others spoke on condition of anonymity. This phone call, late one evening in February, was typical. What it conveys is the sense of discomfort that this a man who would rather not answer questions, what it does not convey is the sense of fear. What they did was transcribe the telephone conversation. It is so interesting. This guy was terrified to talk about this. So it was independent.ie. And if you just type in Paul Kimmage and Johannes Dreyer, I am sure you will find it. It's a really interesting article. Are you looking for another bicycle? No, I'm no. not looking for... Okay, why? Okay, well, no, I, you're probably not. But Pippa Middleton, who did the oh, Race Across right. America. Yes, she did. Uh, the bespoke bike that she was on. Uh, she's actually auctioning it off. And she's really? going to raise money for her two charities, which is, I think, a really great cause. And if you go to uh, ebay.com.uk and just do a search for Pippa Middleton. It'll come up. Uh, her bike is up there. Is and it pretty? It, it's a nice-looking bike. There's a few days left on this, but the nice thing is actually going for a good cause and they're doing something good with it. And yeah. it's neat to see something like this up on a good use for eBay. Let's put it that way. <laughs> That's true. Hey, this comes from Cleveland.com and we're hearing that planners are thinking protected bike lanes. That's fabulous. Say what? Yeah. There's a rendering that shows it. And if you go to Cleveland.com, what's really interesting is that... You know where St. Clair is, right? Okay. There is a segment that used to have trolleys. And what they're doing is they're saying they're going to put in a network that could be 50, 80, even 100 miles of extra wide Cleveland streets that once carried the trolleys and put this boulevard of bike lanes down the middle. How cool is that? They're calling it the Cleveland Bicycle Expressway. I like that. <laughs> I think that maybe we can get some uh, Copenhagen lights and, and... That'd be really cool. And time the lights. Yeah, yeah right. that would be perfect. That would be awesome. So while I was watching the tour the other day, a new device came up. It's called Patch and Ride. Okay. And so I went to their website at patchandride.com. When you get a flat tire and you possibly don't have a spare inner tube with you, this is a device that will go into your tire, and it'll actually open it up a little, put a little bit of a plug in it, and then you pump it up. It's very similar to how you would plug a streetcar, plug one of those tires in the old days, and it looks like it might be a quick and easy way that'll get you home, you know, because most of us can't just stick our hand up and have that car come riding the, the up next car? to us. Yeah, the yeah, team car is right. not normally going to fix it for us uh, or do well, that very quickly. Well, you know, Mavic does neutral team support. <laughs> I, that's, and that's very interesting to see that. Who they're, right. I'm sure they do some a little faster than others. but. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Well, I think that they're supposed to be... They're all the same. Yeah, right. Yes. We're, everybody's the same. Okay, we're, we're speaking Mavic and we're speaking high performance. Yes. How about Formula One racing? Yep. Months after many had all but written off the high-profile project backed by Formula One champion Fernando Alonso, things are quickly clicking into gear. 
Spanish media has reported that the team has officially registered with the UCI for a 2015 racing license. And sources confirmed to Velo News that team representatives are actively approaching riders. That marks the sudden restart of the Alonso project, which had been lying dormant through much of the 2014 season. Many speculated that the Alonso project, dubbed FACT, F-A-C-T, Fernando Alonso cycling team, did not have money, especially in light of no activity on the free agent market this spring and summer. But Alonso agent and manager Luis Garcia Abad told the Spanish Sports Daily AS last week the team was moving forward despite lying dormant through the first half of 2014. So what do you think? Are we going to have this Formula One guy uh, doing this team? I think so. And the thing that we obviously we've learned recently is that it's really expensive to get involved into the sport. I guess we should move on, huh? All right. All right. Well, our final guest this evening is Patrick Brady. We've spoken with him several times. He did do the um, review of The Loyal Lieutenant not too long ago, the George Hincapie mm-hmm. book. We are now going to talk about his book, Why We Ride. And let's find out why we ride. Patrick, welcome back to The Outspoken Cyclist. Thanks for joining me this evening. Well, thank you. You want to talk about your book? We can do that. <laughs> I get a lot of books to read. And you and I have had this conversation before. I like intellectual, you know, I like I like books that make you think. And that the person who wrote them actually thought a lot about what he or she was writing. So I really enjoyed this. It's a compilation of what I would consider pretty reflective and articulate thoughts. And I know you did not just sit down and write all of these chapters. You have written them over a period of time. Can you give me an idea of, of when you compiled these? When did this all start? And, and um, obviously, you're still writing about cycling. Well, first, yes, I am still writing about cycling. I can't seem to stop. <laughs> um, the bulk of work was composed over a five-year span. I actually had to go back and check because I wasn't really clear on when the first of the pieces uh, was done. There is an outlier that was composed in 96 or 97, but the, the bulk of the stuff was between uh, 2008 and 2013. And so it's drawn mostly from uh, the blog Belgium Knee Warmers. And then uh, uh, there's a, a fair chunk that comes from Red Kite Prayer. And then the closing portion is from a single issue of Peloton Magazine. And the book begins with a chapter titled The Well. And the Chinese Book of Changes, the I Ching, has a well, and the well represents that which is true and pure and essential. And I believe that you kind of, while you understand that, see the well a bit differently. So why don't you read that chapter for us, the very first chapter of the book, The Well? Sure. The Well. Motivation. It's that most fleeting of qualities. With it, you have the power to dig deep in training. Every day, is another opportunity to work toward a better you. It is the savings account from which you draw the fortitude to bury the needle for another few seconds, to refuse the slice of cake, to head out for the ride in the dark. It is as mysterious in its presence as it is in its absence. Its switches are nonsensical, ironic. One bad ride can light a fire that melts the asphalt beneath your wheels two days later. Or it can lead to a sense of futility 
causing you to skip rides, fall off the program, pig out even. When the well is empty, life is duller for it. There's no spring to your step. 20 miles can seem long, and cleaning the bike is just another chore that can be put off for another week. Forget about intervals. Why go hard? What's the point? And there's the mystery. We know why. We know that the feeling that comes from riding well can kill office stress, melt daily disappointments, and enable us to ride with the lead group at Flanders. Okay, maybe not the last, but you must admit, when the well is full, you feel totally pro. You ride with wattage to spare. But the empty well can be depression itself. It is the cycle of disappointment that feeds on disappointment. The snake that eats its tail, but instead of winking out of his existence, it grows. How we reverse that vicious cycle is anyone's guess. A blue sky that lures one rider back to the saddle can fill another with shame for the day's mist. For those who've had the well run dry, you know the revulsion you feel for the big ring, a stomach-turning horror that makes overtraining seem like simple recovery between intervals. The dry well is the existential crisis that causes you to ask the unthinkable. Why do I ride a bike? And yet the reprieve is always around the corner. Whether it's the 89 tour, a rerun of breaking away, or a warm day too beautiful not to ride, we all have our triggers. Thank heaven. And for all the heartache of the empty well, we can suddenly find ourselves seeing once again the natural order of the world. The bicycle is a thing of beauty, a potent antidote to the world's ills, an eternal e-ticket ride. As if we were hawks riding thermals, one good ride begets another and another. We're easier to live with if utterly verbose about our exploits. We conduct our days more efficiently as we divide the day between riding and the activities that support it and all the rest. So powerful is the full well that we find cues to even more motivation in elements as simple as the open road. That shouldn't strike us as a surprise, though. It was always thus. Half our love of cycling is a love of the open road itself, and that ribbon of asphalt is life unfolding in an ever unexpected way. That was Patrick Brady. He's my guest this evening talking about his book, Why We Ride. And that was the first chapter of the book, The Well. Wow, that's lovely. I like the way you read it. Thank you. And the book is filled with many, many pages like that. So you still ride a lot. Much of your writing history is sort of reflected in all these short pieces. I wanted to ask you a question about OBE. <laughs> it's, in, it's in a piece titled The Routine. And it's the kind of jargon, believe it or not, all these years I've been in the bike business, I never heard OBE. Tell us what OBE is and what is it about routine? Well, OBE stands for overtaken by events. Um, it's not a phrase uh, or moniker new to me or, or original to me. Uh, it was something coined by a friend of mine. Uh, maybe it's just a West Coast thing. Um, but it 
it's uh, code for when the day didn't work out according to plan and other stuff got in the way of going for a ride. Then you had an OBE. You were overtaken by events. Right. And, you know, routine, oh, my gosh, it can be such, you know, such utter boredom and uh, be such a a killer to an interesting life. But routine, um, it has its merits. Um, You know, a morning writing routine means that you know exactly how long you need to get ready. You know exactly how many minutes it will take you to ride to the start of the ride. You know how long that ride will last. Uh, You know how long you need after the ride to be useful again to the rest of the world that doesn't care about your riding. (laughs) And that's the thing. You know, the world doesn't give um, a flying bleep about our riding. Most of the people to whom we matter... Writing is just something we do that gets in the way. And so knowing how we shoehorn our writing in so that we don't disrupt the rest of our lives and upset the people who really would rather we weren't writing at all, that's the challenge. That's, you know, that's the deal. That's what we're working toward. My friends and I also refer frequently to the hall pass, you know, and that's the negotiation you've made with your significant other that permits you to leave at, you know, oh, dark 30 or whenever, and then get home, you know, two, three, four hours later. Well, you know, most of us, go ahead. Well, what I was going to say about that is because all these years when women, believe it or not, wives would come in and confide in me by saying things like, if it weren't for riding, I think I would have killed my husband by now, or if it weren't for riding, my husband and I would be divorced by now. I mean, there's another side to that that maybe you haven't seen that I have had the privilege of seeing, you know, that these women have actually said, oh, my goodness, I'm really glad because it's what it's what keeps him sane. Well, I mean, OK, let's back up and just say all those women who've ever said that to you. Yeah. Cheers to them. Yeah, I they agree. Rock. Uh, the thing is, that's a level of awareness um, of the positivity that cycling imparts in our lives. Those are women who are much more aware, not just of themselves, but of what keeps the people around them sane. Um, and if we could mint those by the dozen, I'd do all I could to help in that effort. But the fact is, there are a lot of people who just see cycling as something silly. And so the routine, in part, spoke to, you know, what I've had to do at other points in my life to be able to get the writing in that I wanted. You know, not everyone is as evolved as those women that you shared time with. Um, So... That's true. That's, that's true. I, that's I was thing. just offering another perspective. So, you know, we can move right from routine to addiction. <laughs> because I thought that was one of the really interesting pieces in the book. Many of our listeners, most of them can relate to the piece addiction. Uh, you see and want and, and need cycling. It's about dedication. Tell us a little bit about that chapter, addiction, how you couch that. I thought it was very interesting. Well, you know, the thing is, from from various people in my life and in my past, you know, cycling was seen as something that 
was just derailing the rest of the day. It would be a much better day if I didn't have to go out for a ride. And so they term it as an addiction. But, you know, I mean, while you and I as cyclists can joke about being addicted to cycling, if you really drill down on that idea, it doesn't hold up at all. No. Because uh, an actual addiction strips away the other truly important elements of your life and makes you less available to them. Whereas those of us who are dedicated, dedicated cyclists know that, you know, once you've had a good ride, you come back refreshed and you're better able to cope with the rest of the day. And so it, it makes you, you know, a healthier, saner, happier person. So that as you're going through the rest of your life, you know, you're, you're not a drag on everyone else. And that's not what an addiction imparts. So that particular piece was just taking, taking that accusation and pulling it apart and showing the irony uh, in the use of that term. It's just interesting that, you know, people walk, see you walking around in your cleats and your, in, in your kit and, and they go, look at him. He's addicted to this, you know, and, it, and it's like just such a it's just not the way it really is. It's 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 funny. In a, in a sad sort of way, you know? All right, so the last thing I want to talk about is the last part of the book. So a lot of these beginning chapters, the, the first, I'd say, two-thirds of the book are basically these sort of thoughts that you have, and they're cohesive, and, they're, and, they, and they start and they finish. Then you have this sort of eight-part beginning with fun and ending with adventure. What did you mean by putting those eight parts together, and they they're very interesting, but it's more of a story than the than the single chapters are. <laughs> well, okay. So the first thing I should say is that that entire collection uh, was commissioned by Peloton Magazine, and it was the basis for their eighth issue, which was a photo annual. And so those essays were inserted in between the different photo essays by eight different photographers. And so the idea was to have a single piece of prose that pulled the entire issue together. Got and it. to have that single piece of prose written by a single author, which is not something that's ever happened before in a bike magazine. Turning the whole of an issue over to one writer, that was just nutty. And I'll even say, you know, straight up, they, they were kind of nervous. They kept checking in with me. And I said, just give me a chance to finish it. And uh, then you can decide if it works or not. But it was a huge opportunity for me. And, you know, you asked about the order to the things. And I can tell you that I looked at them hard. And there was a very right-brained analysis. On, you know, I, I went through this stuff. And I, I thought about what I was working on. They're not all the same length. You know, one takes on the mountains. One looks at the nature of innovation. One looks at the creative urge. And so while they all concern cycling, they go down some really uh, diverse paths along the way. And um, really what it was was two weeks of me on my couch. Um, I'd go out for a one- or two-hour ride in the morning, and then I'd come back, and I'd spend the rest of the day on the couch uh, just chasing wherever my creativity led. Um, and, uh, you know, it was the sort of thing where once once completely unlocked, even I was surprised by some of the stuff that was coming out. It's fascinating. Um, you know, I guess I should add that, you know, I'm I'm not trained as a journalist. I'm uh, I'm trained uh, as a poet. 
my graduate work was in poetry. And so I come from a, a different uh, background and tradition in terms of what we do when we face the blank page. Um, not saying it's better or worse or anything. It's just uh, my my brain works a little differently. It shows up as as beautiful writing. I mean, you know, it it's pleasant to read, and so I enjoy that. I like the printed word on the page. Having said that, the book just came out as an ebook. <laughs> um, true. <laughs> so that's the last thing we need to do is tell people how to get the, how they can get a copy of Why We Ride. This has been a wonderful conversation, by the way. I've enjoyed it a lot. Me too. Thank you. I'm, I'm truly grateful. So currently, the, uh, the paperback is available through my website, redkiteprayer.com or amazon.com. And then the ebook will be available on my site later this afternoon. And then there's a... Uh, Fine press edition hardcover. Uh, the pages were letterpress uh, printed, and uh, the binding was done by hand. The printer is in Ojai, California, and uh, the bookbinder is in downtown LA. Uh, she's been in business like 60 years or something. Uh, she must have been 14 when she started with her husband. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, they did a really lovely job, and so it's uh, the hardcover editions, are, you know, a real collectible. And uh, once I've got all those shipped out to the Kickstarter uh, pledges, uh, then that book will appear on my website as well. I really appreciate you talking to me this evening. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. And the book, again, is Why We Ride, Essays, Meditations, and Prose Poems on What Makes Cycling an Indispensable Part of Our Lives. How true, how true. Patrick Brady, thank you so much for joining me on the show this evening. Oh, thank you, Diane. You're so generous. We will talk again. Bye-bye. Patrick Brady joined me from his home in Redondo Beach, California, talking about his book, Why We Ride. He's thought about it a lot, huh? I think so, <laughs> <Yeah>. yep. <laughs> What's really interesting about that is I, I sit and listen to him go through everything that, through the well, and that's not tweetable. That's something that this is the only place you can get. You can't get that through Twitter. You can't get through anything else. You have to go there to get it. Right. And it's a slim version. It's only like 100 pages. But it is just full of these wonderful thoughts about cycling. It's really well thought. Yeah. And then he's able to convey it in readable, interesting, and fun prose and, and poems and stuff like that. Well, we need to skedaddle out of here. Thank you for listening this evening. There will be a brand new edition of The Outspoken Cyclist next week. If you're in the Cleveland area, come see the gay games. If not, go for a ride anyway. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us today on The Outspoken Cyclist with Diane Lees. We'll be back next week at this same time with more conversation and news from the world of cycling. If you missed any part of today's show, download the podcast from iTunes or WJCU.org. And you can follow The Outspoken Cyclist on Facebook and Twitter to keep the conversation going throughout the week. The Outspoken Cyclist is a copyrighted production of DBL Promotions with the assistance of WJCU-FM Cleveland, a service of John Carroll University. Thanks again for listening, 
ride safely, and we'll see you next week. 